Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. So four or five years ago, I was sitting with a guy in his mid-20s, and he asked me if I would mentor him. And so we just started sharing stories. That's typically the way I start. I want to know just what's going on in somebody's life. And he says to me, you know, you know I'm, I'm gay, right? And I, I, I said, yeah, I, I knew that. And he said, are you going to try to fix me? I said, man, I, I don't have a way to fix you. That's not what this is about. You see, I think a lot of times as the church, we take a mentality and take up a false responsibility that our goal is to fix people. On a really good day, I still don't think I could even fix myself. So that, here's my approach to him, and here's what I feel like God would want to equip us in as a body. I said, here's what I know. I know that God loves you. I begin to explain to him that I didn't think homosexuality was his problem. Here's what I wasn't doing, and I was clear with him. I wasn't saying that I thought God has created you this way or God is okay with this. If you were to read scripture with any sort of seriousness about what it means to follow Jesus, it's really clear. But I'm not the person that can fix anybody. And my approach to him and his issues was this belief that his wrestling with sexual identity and in our day it's being compounded with gender identity, that those are simply symptoms of other things that are going on. And anybody that thinks that they have the cure for anybody else's stuff, like it's just this one thing, it's this one dynamic, it's that you were, this happened to you or that you're seeing it this way, has gotten it totally wrong. Let me say this, your identity, even your sexuality are incredibly complicated. And it's not something that can simply be fixed by doing something or maybe even praying some prayer, that's not the goal and it's definitely not my responsibility as a spiritual leader to try to fix people or to try to solve their problems by making them so simplistic that somehow if you take this step, you do this thing, all of your problems will go away. I'm the first to say I, I still got issues. Are you with me? And you see, what I realized, though, is this, that Jesus is inviting me to lay down my issues at his feet. And that when I say, Jesus, I trust you with my life, I actually have to mean it. It, it means that, that every tendency, every sin issue, every struggle, every propensity, every bit of my wiring gets surrendered to him. Now, for some of us, that's fairly simple in the cultural battles of our day because it's not a thing that people are railing against. But for other people, it's really, really complicated. And so the temptation is this for us in our day. The temptation is to pick up stones 
to throw at people that have different struggles and different issues and different beliefs and different worldviews than us. To say, oh, well, if you would just stop doing this, or you would just get in line with this, then, then, then it would change everything. Now, here's another temptation that I'm seeing in the church. I've seen books now being written about it, and the, the idea would be this that somehow we would try to keep Christianity relevant by reinterpreting what it says. And the idea behind that is progressivism. And I don't mean this. I don't even mean progressivism in a political way. I just mean this, that somehow we could improve upon the way of Jesus and that we've got some special revelation that makes an improvement on what Scripture teaches us. Are you with me? And, and it would be culturally convenient to go down that road. Quite honestly, it would make life a lot easier because the world puts you in one of two categories. I actually believe there's a third way. But one category is this that you agree, full stop, no exception, that everything is permissible and even life-giving down the road of gender and sexuality. That it's all bets are off, you make your own way, you decide, or you were born a certain way and therefore you can't help it and you've, once you go down that road, you can't ever come back and that's just who you are. And so the, the invitation of the world to say, hey, fully agree with all of this or you don't love me and you're homophobic and you're full of hatred and you might as well be Adolf Hitler himself. And the church has bought into that false dichotomy. Are you with me? It's like, oh man, like, I, I, that's like this horrible thing. And so I can't, and so, so I've just got to get as far away from all of that. And if they think they hate them and just begin to build this narrative and buy into the bigger narrative. And yet when we look at the way of Jesus, there is a, such a better way for you and I to live. You see, Jesus never once agreed with anybody's condition, belief, way of living that was not in line with God's design for them and his very best for them. Never. He didn't make special exceptions to fit into culture. He wasn't interested in being relevant and culturally acceptable. And yet he refused to entertain the way of religion that said, if they're not for you, then they're against you. Instead, Jesus took the higher road. He said, Jesus says, you know what? You can't be my enemy if I don't let you. You may make me your enemy, but I'm not your enemy. And then he began to speak to the religious folks. Say, you're totally missing the point. And the truth is, is that Jesus was always harder on religious people than he was with the world. I was getting ready to preach probably 10 years ago. And this phrase popped into my mind. I don't remember what I was preaching on. But what I heard the Holy Spirit say to me was this. Don't shoot the hostage.
You see, so often the church buys into the marketing and political narrative that would say you have to be one of these two. You have to fully accept everything about me. By the way, let's just be honest. I don't accept everything about me. Right? Like, and I get to be in relationship with me, and I'm like, hey, I don't like that about me. And I'm not being hard on myself. I'm not beating myself up. But uh, I accept who I am. I accept how God made all of those things. But the idea that I have to 100% agree with everything about anybody, including myself, in order to be in relationship with them is an incredible fallacy. I do not agree with you on everything. And yet I love you so much that I would gladly lay down my life for you. And so often I feel like the church has been caught in culture wars. And instead of keeping our love on, we buy into the narrative that causes us to shoot the hostages that we've been invited to join King Jesus in rescuing. And here's the interesting thing that goes on with hostages, right? Like you don't shoot the hostage. That's rule number one, right? I'm not trained in this. Pretty good with a gun, but I'm not trained in, in hostage negotiation and rescue. But I know rule number one is that you don't shoot the hostage. The, the second thing is, is that they've, they've found this in hostage situations. And I'm not simply talking about gender and identity. I'm talking about anything that would m cause me to make an agreement outside of God's way for living, okay? Yes. Is this, is there's this thing called Stockholm Syndrome. What happened is in Stockholm, there was a hostage situation that went on for several weeks. And eventually, the hostages actually bonded to their captors. And so, when it came time for them to be rescued, they came to the defense of their captors. And when it came time for court, they actually begin to argue on behalf of their captors. You see, the, the truth is that some of us, and probably all of us in one area or another, have begun to bond with our bad beliefs, begin to bond with our sin patterns, have begun to bond with hopelessness and ways of believing like, like what I've seen in our day is that I'll give up my beliefs to be acceptable to the world. We begin to make these belief systems and say, you know what, I, I know this is probably really true, but I'd really like to be liked. We begin to come up with all of these ways of living and believing that we begin to bond to and protect, and in the meantime, they're doing incredible damage to us. I feel like the Holy Spirit is just inviting us, it's what we just sang, that we would lay down our whole lives before him. That we would trust that even when we don't understand it, that his way is better. Jesus in John 4 was outside of this Samaritan village and he sent the disciples into the village to get food. And so he's there and in the middle of the day there's a, a woman that comes to get water by herself and that was 
an odd occurrence because in the middle of the day, nobody would come to get water. They would, the women of the village would tend to go or always basically go early in the morning for two reasons. One, it was cooler early in the morning. And if you're going to carry big jugs of water, you don't want it to be 105 like it's been here. The second thing is, is that water is something you need for your whole day. So to get fresh water for the day makes sense. So you don't come in the middle of the day because you would have already needed it by then. But there's this woman that comes by herself and Jesus obviously would have known those two things and thought, oh, this is probably a bit peculiar. The truth is Jesus probably knew she was coming there and was waiting for her. So Jesus says, hey, excuse me, would you give me some water? Could you draw some out for me to drink? And she goes on talking about the well, and Jesus says, here's, here's the truth. The truth is, if you knew who was talking to you, you would be asking me for water that never runs dry so that you would never be thirsty again. She doesn't fully get it. Typically, when God's speaking to us, we don't fully get it either. Are you with me? Amen. We like to say, oh, I can't believe they did. No, you wouldn't have got it either. And so the conversation goes on. They start talking about where they're going to worship and how to worship, worship in spirit and in truth. And Jesus says, hey, you know, you should, come, you should go get your husband and come back. The woman says, you know, I've already had several husbands. And Jesus said, yeah, in fact, the man that you're living with isn't even your husband. She's like, how did you know that? She runs into the village and probably passes the disciples on her way into the village, comes back, and Jesus is talking with his disciples. He says, hey, look at the harvest. It's white with ripeness. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Here's what's interesting about the Samaritans. The Samaritans dressed in all white. Jesus was saying, here comes the very harvest that you were meant for. And yet I don't have enough workers for this harvest. Revival came that little Samaritan village. Here's a, another story, then we'll go back to that one because I feel like it's actually a prophetic picture of what God wants to do in our day. Another story, they're asking Jesus what the greatest law is and Jesus, trying to trap him, Jesus says, hey, it's to love God with all that you are, to love your neighbor as yourself. And they said, okay, well, what's, who, who's my neighbor? They're like trying to, to drill down on it. And Jesus tells a story, you've heard it. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. And in the story of the Good Samaritan, there's a Jewish man who would have been like them, that's important to know, who's beat up by robbers, everything he's had taken, and he's left for dead on the side of the road. Three different Jewish people, the people that would have associated with him and would have been the best to help him, pass by. Then a Samaritan man, on his way to do some business, sees the man on the side of the road beaten up, and he helps him, takes care of him, does all this stuff. The, the, the point of the story is this. The reason why Jesus told the story the way he did, the hero wasn't a Jewish man. The hero of the story was a Samaritan. You have to understand that first century Jews and Samaritans were incredibly opposed to each other. They would not associate with each other. And what Jesus was saying is your neighbor is not somebody who is like you. Your neighbor is not somebody who believes like you, who dresses like you, who looks like you. 
the world can do that kind of love. The world actually looks for people like them to belong to so that we can huddle together and feel safe. And what Jesus was saying is that if you're going to love well, then you're going to love not those who are like you and dress like you and believe like you and all of those things, but what real love does is that it loves those who don't look like me, who loves those who should be my enemy, but I refuse to allow them to be. That's what real love looks like. So back to the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. They all come. There's revival in that Samaritan village. And then... That woman, church history, not scripture, but church history, would tell us her name is Fotina. And Fotina began to be known as the apostle of North Africa. She led thousands and thousands of people to Jesus. She helped establish the church. If you've got a problem with women in leadership, you need to read the Bible. <laughs> and saw incredible transformation happen in the early church. Here's my belief. The harvest is absolutely plentiful. And if we're going to see the harvest. If we're going to see revival in our day, then, we're half, then we have to, church, we have to be willing to engage those who do not look like us and do not believe with, like us. Amen. And what we'll find is that the greatest revivalists in the coming move of God are stuck in lifestyles stuck in ways of living and believing that look totally opposed to the way of Jesus. And it's because they're not looking for somebody to tell them how to live. They're looking for life itself. They're looking for the well that never runs dry. They're looking for more than just behavior modification and good ways to believe and the right things to do. They're looking for life itself. And church, if we say you need to look like this and fit this box, and you need to stop doing those bad things, you need to clean your act up, and then you can follow Jesus, we will absolutely miss it. But if we'll be a people who are willing to say, you know what, God loves you no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, no matter how you identify, he absolutely loves you. He's crazy about you. He sent Jesus to the very same cross for you that he sent him for me and he loves you so much and he wants to enter your life and give you very, the very thing that you were created for and cause you to come fully alive on the inside. Come on, that's what he wants to do in our day. And if we're going to see that lived out, we're going to have to be comfortable getting very uncomfortable. I had a guy send me a message last week, a friend, I think he's in the room, and he said, hey, can you bring anybody to Sozo? I said, absolutely. He said, what, what, do they need to dress a certain way? No, I don't need to dress a certain way at all. So, well, this is our exchange. He said, well, what if it's a man dressed in a dress? said, absolutely, please bring them. We're going to have to be so full of love, so full of truth, that we're fully convinced that God is good and that he is making room for everybody. 
And here's what I don't mean. Some of you are like, yeah, but what about, and is Joel going down this whole road? Here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that we compromise on truth. Like, like it's, 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 it's really biblically clear, right? That I'll just, just to, some of you need me to just put you at ease and, and maybe others of you need to just understand the, the truth of scripture and how it affects our lives. So let me just talk very plainly with you. Is that all right? Okay. Biblically, marriage is a man and a woman. Anything outside of that is not biblical marriage. Are you with me? Okay. And God from the very beginning created male and female, man and woman. And so any attempt to change our biology or our gender identity is outside of God's design for us. Okay? It's not what you were, the way you were called to live. And we live in a day where we're going to have to, church, I've already seen this go really poorly, we're going to have to make space for people who have had transition surgeries and all sorts of other things happen in their life, and then they give their lives to Jesus and they're learning what, is, what does it look like to follow Jesus now. And I can't undo some of the decisions that I've made. And we're going to have to be willing to embrace people and help them find life. And let me say this, anybody that says, you just do it this, this, and this, here's the one, two, three step plan is not listening to the Holy Spirit. Because the truth is, it's not clean and it's not simple. But if we don't engage, what we're going to find is that our faith begins to shrink. The truth is, if you're caught in culture wars, and many of you I know are in our day, is that you don't have the belief. There's actually an invitation to believe that God is bigger and better than what we could accomplish in culture wars and the political sphere and all of that stuff. So we're, we're going to have to be willing to embrace people, right? So, so it also is really clear in Scripture that any form of homosexuality is sin. It's not God's design, and it's not that God created people and then said, oh, no, you don't fit. You're irredeemably broken. It's, it's not what Scripture is saying. It's saying there's a, a way of life that you were created to live in. Now, I've walked with enough people in life and with struggles to realize there are some people, I don't know how they got there. Can I just be really clear with you? Like, I haven't diagnosed and dissected and figured out all of the pieces because I don't think that's possible. But there are some folks that I've walked with and they're fully into following Jesus. And they realize that on the path to following Jesus, that homosexuality is, is not the way of Jesus. And yet, they're still wrestling with temptation and attraction and all of those things and trying to figure out how do I follow Jesus in the middle of all of that. And one of the primary problems that folks caught in that way of life have to wrestle with is this. I don't want to be alone. In church, if, if we're going to hold up the way of Jesus and say this is the way that we're called to live and then treat people as second-class kingdom citizens and not invite them into family, like to say, oh, you're called to live a life of celibacy. And then to say, go figure it out on your own. That's not okay. We have to be willing. And it doesn't matter if they wrestle with same-sex attraction and what their history is. We have to be willing to invite singles 
into our families and say, hey, my family can be your family. You're, you're welcome at my table. And not say, oh, well, like just push them off in their own separate little category. Absolutely not. Instead, we have to be willing to embrace people in the struggle. And we also have to be willing to do this. We have to be willing to, to walk with people that are a mess. Because here's the truth for you. You're a mess. And somebody's willing to walk with you. And so we talked about this last week. We don't have any stones to throw. Like, I can't throw stones at you because you have a sin issue. And instead, we lay down our stones and we chase Jesus together. Let me talk about one connected issue that is a significant one in our day. And then I think as we close, I really feel this that God's inviting some of us to lay down our ideologies that are opposed to the way of Jesus. Second Timothy four, three and four says, hey, like, be careful of those who begin to preach to tickle your ears, right? And so there's just, there's a way of thinking that's like, oh, I can follow Jesus and I can condone behavior outside of the way of Jesus. Here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you need a picket sign to protest somebody's way of life. That's not okay. But you can actually damage people when you just begin to, to go after lawlessness, essentially, is what it is. For others, we've made people our enemies who just aren't. They're not. If you're gonna be in the way of Jesus, then people who wrestle with gender identity and sexuality and all of those things that the hot button topics of our day would say, oh, well, they don't, these two don't go together. Those are the people that you're called to. Those are the people you're supposed to lay down your life for. They can't be your enemies. But there, there is an issue that is bothering me in our day. Now, done my best to, uh, I, th I think it actually is deeply spiritual. Uh, I've done my best to, yeah. Well, here's, here's the issue. The issue is this. There is an attempt, and I talked about it a bit last week. The sexual revolution opened some doors in our day that has created an identity revolution. And there is an attempt now at the sexualization of our kids and it's not okay. And I think I, I understand folks that would be opposed to me on this. Like I think they're like, hey man, there's kids that don't fit the traditional way of living and we wanna give them space to live. I, I, I think that's the argument. Like we don't wanna put them in a box. And from that worldview, like, oh, I, I can see how, how maybe that would make sense for you. And, and I absolutely love you and I fundamentally disagree. However, my conversation, as I've talked with school administrators, is not, because that, there's a major push there, it is not that you teach my way of living. I don't need you to teach my way of living. I need you to stay out of it. Are you with me? It's like just like my three-year-old wants to be Spider-Man. It's okay that he lives that fantasy. And he or my six-year-old or my 10-year-old or your 17-year-old, life is hard enough for them, for them to have to decide at a young age, 
how they're going to identify and how they're going to orient and all of those things. It's not okay. It's absolutely not okay. And look, I, I, I am under no illusion that the world would agree with me. Are you with me? Like, I'm not asking the world to adopt my Christian worldview and not know Jesus. I'm not even interested in that. What I'm saying is we need to stop the sexualization of our kids. And your kids are worth protecting. They're worth fighting for. Now, let me say this to you. You have to pay very close attention to what your kids are consuming and who they're around. You have to pay attention to what's going on in their classroom. Sent a picture yesterday of one of our elementary schools that has a, a, a rainbow flag, elementary school, K through five, rainbow flag. Outside the girls' bathroom, it says, she, her, they, them. It's like, just leave it alone. It's not okay. So every kid is different. They're processing differently. But let me just, parents, let me walk with you. Uh, uh, folks that are eventually going to be parents, let me just give you some input. You can't worry about your reputation at the expense of your kids. You can't say, oh, I don't want to address that because I don't want them to think that I'm this. It doesn't matter how people think about you, your responsibility. Yeah. Your responsibility is your kids, okay? Yeah. And I'm not saying force anything else on anybody else. I'm okay with the world living like the world, but you can't allow those schemes against your kids, okay? The second thing is you have to have proactive conversations with your kids because there is a principle of first mention that works in psychology, the, they agree with the first thing that they're told. I saw this years ago with uh, a friend in another state that I'm walking with. They had just moved in and they were in an incredibly a politically liberal, progressive school district. And I was learning seriously from their like third or fourth grader, I was getting caught up on everything around gender and sexuality. Like what the categories were. I told my friend, I was like, man, this is significant and it's not okay. And I said, your daughter is confident in who God made her to be. So the attempt is not to get her to change her orientation or her identity. The attempt is to separate her from you is to teach her that you're actually some sort of old school dinosaur who's a bigot and doesn't get it. That you're outdated and antiquated and shouldn't be listened to. That you're untrustworthy as an authority figure in her life and in directing her path. And so it matters. It absolutely matters. And it's not insignificant. And so it's worth having those conversations with teachers and administrators and sacrificing immensely to get your kids into the place that they need to be in order to be protected. And it doesn't like, for some of you, God may show you what it looks like to walk with your kids and all of that. Because the truth is at some point, they will be adults and they will have to learn how to process life. Right, And so you want to walk with them. And so we take, for instance, we take school. We take that one year at a time. Because we want to make sure, like, regardless of our comfort, we have a responsibility to take good care of our kids. That's the, like, one of the top things that I'll get to answer to Jesus for and to say, you know what? Could have had a little more Starbucks. I would have had to sacrifice my Starbucks coffee to get my kids out of that school. It's like, no. My reputation, no, it's not worth it. And so, again, I'm not saying this. I'm not saying 
that we're called to enter into the name calling of the culture wars, it's not our call. However, Jesus says that those who would lead a little kid into sin or do harm to them would be better that they have a millstone thrown around their neck and tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. I don't say that as a them thing. I say that as our responsibility to protect our kids and to help them learn how to navigate culture. And let me just say this. Parents, I've said it before. You are the primary discipler of your kids. What they can do down the hill in an hour and a half hopefully reinforces what you're teaching them, but that's not going to cut it. Just like for you in your spiritual life, an hour and a half or two, if I preach long, is not sufficient for you to become a disciple of Jesus. You with me? And so you have a responsibility to walk with your parents in that stuff. So here's here's where we find ourselves in our day. I feel like God is inviting us to get our hands messy, church. I feel like he's saying, hey, it's time for us to be willing to engage the world and watch what he can do. That, That we would go to those who are hurting, some who may not even know it, and that we would willingly love them well. That we would willingly lay down our lives. And that we would trust that Jesus can do what he can do. That he's going to love well. And I I believe this. I, I think so much of our wrestling with sin patterns in our own lives has to do with not understanding how absolutely, incredibly loved we are. When we begin to encounter the love of God, it begins to change everything. Um, As we've been talking about this, so so I, I think there may be an invitation to repentance. I know everybody loves that religious word, repentance. But it really means just to think differently. There's an invitation for us to say, you know what, I'm going to think differently about the world. I'm going to think differently about how I engage people. I'm going to think differently about it. There's an invitation also to say, I'm going to come into alignment with the way that God thinks and the way that he sees people. I'm not going to allow people to be enemies that that just aren't. Um, I also think last week, intentionally, uh, I opened up a can of worms. Uh, as we were talking about sexuality and our own struggles with lust and all of that stuff. And so um, my, my friend Keith is going to come up. He, he kind of knows it. Um, and I just have invited him just to, to close our, our time together with a bit of ministry. And he's just going to walk you through uh, something. I don't know exactly what. Um, but I, That's good because I don't know either. But I trust him. And so... Yeah, I just feel like God wants to, when, when it, just some of the stuff that we're wrestling with, I feel like God just wants to minister to us in that. And so I'm just going to hand it off to Keith, and then we'll worship a bit, and we'll have ministry teams forward probably. Yeah. So. Well, uh, part of my heart, the, the, the invitation that I felt last week was that there just weren't enough people up front to get everybody that needed a touch. And so sometimes we need the one-on-one, hands-on, confession, repentance, receiving in a ministry time. But sometimes the room needs a thing. And so as I sat with Joel at a kind of random gathering this week, we were just discussing what God was doing. And I said, I don't know. I felt like there was something, but I didn't know what it was. And so as he prayed this week, he said, well, if, if I feel that invitation, Keith, then I'll invite you. And so here's the invitation. Our identity is most sensitively connected to our sexuality. Let me say it again because I want you to hear the heart of what I'm saying. Our identity, how we see ourselves, is most sensitively connected.
connected to our sexuality. And so whatever the world is coming in you and around you from your history to the present, the enemy wants to distract you by touching, attacking, and distorting your sexuality. Hetero, homo, trans, whatever. Your identity, the core of who you are, is rooted in the most beautiful, sensitive, unusual act, which was Mary conceiving a child, an intimate act. And becoming a restoration of how intimacy and what sexuality is intended to be, which is uniting man and woman in the beauty of a covenantal, beautiful encounter. It's intimacy and it's related to your sexuality, whether you are a, a, a couple married or an individual coming up. And so the invitation I have is for for us to have the Lord, the Holy Spirit really drive us to some lie that we might be believing. This is gonna be an interactive experience. So if you're online, you can do the same thing with us as everyone here in the room. The same grace applies to you all who are watching. So here's the invitation. You can keep your eyes open, keep them closed, but whatever gives you the right posture to be creative. See, God is a creator and the Holy Spirit's really creative. And while I can't hear your thoughts, I can't see what's going on inside of you. I can be led by the Spirit to give us space for the Spirit to encounter each and every one of you creatively. Some of you are right brain, some are left brain. So I'm gonna lead you through some visualization and some thinking. And we're gonna ask the Spirit to move with us in that. Is that okay with everybody? First, can we agree that Jesus is Lord? Because we have to establish that first for this to work because we're coming under the authority of his blood as we do this. So join me as we pray together. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are leading and guiding us. You are drawing us into a deeper place of intimacy today. And we acknowledge first and foremost the tension that we feel in our minds, in our bodies, in our hearts around our sexuality. How you've made us and Jesus, we confess that we do not see things often as they really are. And we confess that we do not remember things as they really were. You are the way, the truth, and the life. Holy Spirit, you're a revealer of truth. And so Holy Spirit, we ask that you lead us. Father, I ask you to send your angels to surround this physical place, the internet, any person listening right now, to be surrounded, that you all are covered above, below, in front, behind, to the right, and to the left, that you are surrounded by angelic forces that are keeping you safe from all forms of evil. So Holy Spirit, I ask, as the revealer of truth, would you bring each and every one of my friends Would you reveal, be it either by picture, by word, by memory? Holy Spirit, what's the number one lie that you want to address in each of my friends right now? Friend, just give yourself a minute. Let the Spirit lead you. In the name of Jesus, I forbid any and all distractions of technology, emotions, finances, individuals, family, that we are wholly and completely in this space to receive. Holy Spirit. What's the number one lie you want to reveal to my friends? Spirit. Friends, hold that space. And Jesus, Jesus, we invite you into that intimate space of our thoughts and our hearts. Maybe it's a memory. Maybe it's something somebody spoke over you. 
we acknowledge that sometimes we know it, sometimes we don't know it, but we have agreed with the lie. So friends, in whatever way God leads you, I want you to confess that to him. And I have this simple question, it's a yes, no question, super easy. Friends, do you want to continue to agree with this lie, yes or no? As you declare no, it breaks any supernatural contract that may exist. And so in the name of Jesus, we bind all of those contracts and send them straight to the foot of the cross. And now, Jesus, that we've repented and confessed and released this God, Jesus, as you meet each and every one of us in that special place, you exchange the lies for truth. So, Jesus, what is the truth that you want us to receive? Friends, I invite you. Jesus is asking and looking for your partnership in truth. Friends, will you agree with this truth that Jesus has just revealed? Is that something you're ready to receive? Say yes and receive the truth. The word is clear when we confess our sins, which is laying down lies, not always a sinful act, but we confess our sins. He is faithful and just and removes those sins from us as far as the east is from the west. So in the name of Jesus, by the authority of scripture, I declare you are forgiven. And so Holy Spirit, now we ask for an impartation in this revelation. Lord, I don't know what my friends here need. I don't know what my friends on the internet need, but you do. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, move in a way that moves beyond what we think we know about you. Move beyond what we hope to know about you. With the word in our mind, we have been limited by our own understanding. And so come Holy Spirit and wreck our hearts and our minds in such a way that we only believe see, hear, and know what is true. So ministry team, as you come forward, some of you need to stay in your seats and receive from the Spirit right now. Some of you need to come forward. And so in the way that we always do, the ministry team will be down front, but you don't need to come down here to get what you need. Just say, come, Holy Spirit. Remove the lies. Let me remain in truth, in truth alone. And we break every chain in the name of Jesus as we lay down the lies, for it is only holy and completely true. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.